1: Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I am honored to welcome back to the show Mike Sorelli and George Randall, who are both military veterans, and they are the authors of The Talent War, How Special Operations and Great Organizations Win on Talent. Now, they say that talent is the foundation of every success story from Silicon Valley to Wall Street to Main Street and even on the battlefields of Iraq and Afghanistan. It's the hidden asset that never shows up in the balance sheet despite being the driver for a company's true value. And now in this hyper-competitive business environment, the war for talent has never been more important or more complex. In fact, of 800 CEOs and 600 C-suite executives who were polled, In 2019, the overwhelming majority cited the ability to attract and retain top talent as their number one concern. So when it comes to winning on talent, no one does it better or more consistently than the U.S. special operations community. Their success comes down to their people and a wildly held foundational belief that talent plus leadership equals Victory. So we're going to hear from them how the Talent War explores how U.S. Special Operations Forces assess, select, and develop their world-class talent. You're going to learn from listening to them today how to adopt a talent mindset, which is the greatest and single weapon that you can possess in the war for talent. So Mike, George, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you here.
0: Hey, thanks so much. It's good, it's good to have you.
1: Listen, I have been reading that book. I've read it several times. And, you know, like most people, you skip. Your eye lands where it wants to land. And you may start in the middle. You may go back. So I've I've read it multiple times. And it is heavy on U.S. special operations. This is where you guys come from. And to me, that actually makes it more special because I have a great respect for the military and our police. So that being said, can you give each, you know, the audience, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time telling people who you are. Can you each give a quick introduction and then off we go?
0: Yeah, I I didn't hear Mike He may have some connectivity issues. Um, he's so on. I do both I just, backgrounds. He is. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, uh, Mike's the special operations guy, uh, but we were both had the benefit of coming from the world's greatest ship greatest leadership incubator and the world's greatest leadership development program. And so for me it was as simple as, you know, knowing I, I wanted to go to college and I had to pay for it, so I enlisted in the US Army. And um somewhere along the line got the leadership bug and decided to uh compete and try out and learn and get commissioned as a US Army officer. So I spent about seven and a half eight years on active duty. Uh, in a variety of positions around the world, uh, Berlin, uh, deployments to Africa, Cuba, uh, Central America, uh, before I jumped out to the corporate world. So from there, 20 years in in the HR and talent acquisition space.
1: And I definitely want to talk about HR because in our previous conversations – You both shared a lot of great information about HR, human resources, and why they should be the front line to your hiring success. They shouldn't just be the guy that you go to, hey, can you fire this guy? So I urge our audience to go back to that episode, listen in, and take notes. So, Mike, are you here?
2: I'm here, guys. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, yeah, quick background on me. 20 years in special operations started with the Marine decided special operations as an enlisted recon marine and scout sniper, and then made the decision to switch over to the uh, SEAL teams. Uh, spent the remaining 15 years in the SEAL teams, uh, even serving, serving as a, uh, a tier one operator, as we call it, or the Joint Special Operations Command. And then uh, uh, eventually all, all people have to leave the military and, and enter into the private sector or public sector. And uh, for me, it was the route of an MBA to, to gain a little business acumen uh, you know, areas I wasn't strong at because it wasn't necessarily a specific skill we utilized in the military, and that's when I stumbled onto this subject of talent, which we already knew so well from the special operations community, and then George and I connected, and uh, as fate would have it, uh, brought specialties from both sides, which resulted in the talent war, how special operations and great organizations win on talent.
1: And listen, I've also spent a great deal of time stalking you guys, on LinkedIn, just so you know, I've been, I have been watching you each do some really great short videos, and I have questions about some of the things that you're talking about. One of the, the videos, that and I think it was you, Mike, you said hire for character, train for skill. Let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll start off, and I know George has uh, some, some great points to make on this. So, uh, you know, this adage is not new. Um, business leaders have said this as far back as we can remember, uh, though it's become somewhat clinically dead uh, of late. Um, and really, it goes back, and George can speak to it well. That you know, a lot of HR professionals uh, just don't have a good grasp of talent or, or what performance looks like, and hence they default to objective measures like what was the person's resume. I'm sorry, what was the person's GPA? What school did they graduate from? How much? prior experience uh, do they have in this industry. And that's not what you want to hire for. We're not saying that experience is not important. It is the right type of experience. Experience tells you where somebody's been. Character tells you where somebody's going. So we will always default to hire somebody with no experience, uh, but all the character in the world, knowing that we can train them to the skill necessary to succeed in that role and that their character will uh, carry them or drive them uh, far beyond what we need.
1: You know, when you said that no experience, I actually kind of, there was a thing popped into my head, it's like when you hire somebody who doesn't have experience doing what you need them to do, you don't have to break them of all those bad habits. So there's that.
0: No, that's very true. Um and you know, we, we took great pains to say that, you know, experience does matter. You're not going to take an intern and turn them into a CEO or hire them into a CEO position. Um, but what's really important is that experience is not necessarily predictive of success. And, you know, as Mike and I wrote this book, we couldn't have asked for a better example, which is where character matters more, which is the COVID pandemic, no one had experience operating a business regardless of what company you had been at in operating in a covid environment it was the character attributes the drive the resiliency the team ability the curiosity the effective intelligence that allowed people to continue on and thrive and make great decisions and drive their businesses forward and you know, mike's got this great phrase that and it's so true and it and it's a harsh reality that the default position of people when hiring is lazy and defaulting to four to seven years of experience in this field, five years of management, X number of, you know, years in this particular vertical, and that's really the lazy way of doing it uh, because it's the character that's actually predictive of a person's success in any role.
1: And that makes perfect sense. Listen, when this started, this pandemic that was going to be three weeks the, for the longest – for the first month that this happened, I wouldn't even talk about it on the podcast, thinking, you know, there's no point. It's going to date my podcast. It won't be evergreen. There's no point. Now it's all we talk about. But here's the thing. And I noticed this. My sister um, was – part. Of, she was the president of a school board. Not the school board. I'm sorry. Um anyway. Something to do with school. She's going to kill me for this because now I can't even remember what it is. And I helped her get there. I helped her get elected. Oh, she's really going to kill me. But here's the thing. When this happened and schools shut down, I was watching her little town. It's outside of San Francisco. And I was watching how this teacher said, oh, no, you don't. You're not going to leave these kids hanging. And they started Zooming and they started gathering up computers and they went to war literally, and said, we are going to educate our kids. Now, things have changed, and you know there's some things that I see in education that have me going with unions, mostly. But I was so impressed by how these teachers didn't even think about it. They just jumped in and took care of it. And I think that's what you mean about just go do it. Get it done. It's character.
2: There's a similar story. I spoke to a high school football team, which happens to be the high school that Tom Brady graduated from. Sarah high school in uh, San Mateo, California. And uh, the the seniors were demoralized because it looked like based off COVID in California, was not going to allow them to play football. But this particular coach took the initiative for the entire league to push the state of California and the WCAL, which is their league, to allow them to play a few games. And they pulled off five games. And that coach, because he refused to accept the uh, the status quo, because he had the character to drive, uh, gave those seniors a season that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. So there's countless examples through COVID where people just had this ability, this resilience, uh, this ability to, to, to make decisions in, in an environment described as a lack of information or constantly changing information and make things happen. The organizations that found a way to thrive through COVID have come out better and stronger on the backside.
1: And that makes sense. We kept hearing – fortunately, this is a word that's gone away a bit while there was the new normal, which drove me crazy. And then pivot. You don't pivot. You adjust. And a lot of people adjusted beautifully.
0: Well, you know, Denise, it's – you know, even though, you know, I wasn't a member of special operations, it's – you know, we highlight in the book it's what makes them special. In any given time, at any given moment, they can go into a scenario with very limited information. You know, the ability to adapt, the, the ability to have effective intelligence and gather things that aren't necessarily connected and drive forward taking care of your people and still accomplishing the mission is, is a hallmark. It's what they're known for. And so it, that's why it was so critical that we highlighted that it was the people and the character attributes because there are so many situations where experience just isn't going to help you get through it. It has to rely on the leadership and the talent for you to achieve the victory, like the equation we put at the back of the book.
1: And the urge to get it done. You you can't just sit around and say, oh, you know, I've got a great idea. Let me think about this. You have to actually do something about it.
0: Yeah, there's just there's so many times where and it's one of the things, you know, we talk about drive, but, you know, in the military, there's a bias for action. There's a bias for forward movement. There's a bias towards solution, meaning we don't accept the status quo. We don't think, well, it's always been done this way, although there are pockets of that. We think of how can we do this better? How can we improve this? How can we be more prepared as we go forward? And those are all things that stem from the character attributes in the people that are in those organizations.
1: And listen, I watched one of those videos where you were talking about that particular bias. And bias is one of those words that people will hear it and go, Ugh, and they just kind of stop listening. Let's expand on that a bit so they understand that this is a a bias that is a good thing.
0: Yeah, it you know, and and Mike would bring this up but you know, there's two words. It's like when we talk about ego, there's good ego and there's bad ego. And bias, there's good bias and bad bias. And simply it means that it's a tendency to do something. Sometimes it's it's a default position. Sometimes it's conscious. Most of the time it's unconscious. And those that have a bias for positive action, it's that unconscious drive. It's that unconscious motivation and natural position to always move forward, always be solutioning, always be solving problems and trying to make things better. So yes, it's absolutely you know, a positive term. And it's something when Mike and I are selecting leaders for the companies who come to us, we don't want people who are going to sit around and suffer paralysis by analysis. We don't want people who are going to sit and go, well, let's see what happens and let the world affect them. We place leaders who change the world around them through that positive bias towards action.
1: Well, let me ask you this. When you talk about a bias for action, is it something that can be, maybe somebody doesn't do it naturally, but they have it, they've just never explored it. Can they be trained for a bias for action or at least made, you know, made Available to them? I, how would that work? How would you tell people? That, Listen, I think you've got this in you. Let's help you.
2: The, the perfect example is the military boot camps, where they take these young men and women uh, who have potential, some of them, uh, and, and really reinforce and teach this this thing we call a bias for action, um, and, and it's changing behaviors. And they do that in a matter of a few months. Uh, I mean, I wasn't exactly the most driven kid. Didn't get good grades, but once the Marine Corps got their their hands on me and showed me what right looks like, um, you know, this this bias reaction started to, to 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 develop within myself, within George. And there is a bit of the Socratic method involved in this. Is you know, as you screw up and you're being coached and mentored by your military leaders, they'll will they'll, they'll use the Socratic method to ask you, now, what were you thinking in this, these instances? Why didn't you take these, these uh, particular steps? And, and they, they build that. So it's, it's not nurture versus nature. Uh, this can absolutely be nurtured. It just takes the right coach. It takes the right uh, mentor. It takes the right leader. And, this is, and I'll turn it over to George. This is why the, the right HR representative or talent acquisition specialist must understand talent. They must be a a steward of the business. They must be a leader of the business um, in in order to identify the right talent and the needs uh, of the organization.
1: And you you say that in your book, the team must be students of the business embedded and knowledgeable about the organization's goals and needs. Human resources must must function and be seen as a strategic asset and partner at all levels. We talked a bit about that before. I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't realize how important and how critical the role of HR is. You know, I've always just kind of had the attitude, not that I've worked for a lot of companies i don 't play well with others, so I work for for myself most of the time all the time actually <laughs> but i've always been kind of of the idea i guess that h r they're the people that smack your hands, you know they sort out your know, your payroll problems yeah. and insurance issues, but they're also the ones that are going to call you know security to come get you out of the building. Apparently, I am dead wrong <laughs> in that
0: thinking <laughs> well you're you're not entirely dead wrong but <laughs> Mike and I have the, as we call it, and he used the term and he was spot on, which is we nerd out on talent. And we are always trying to improve our game on how to select talent. And as much as we know that the HR function could be far more in a much larger number of organizations, the person who summed it up best was Tracy Keough, who we interviewed for the book, who I had the distinct privilege of working with. And she was at a meeting. And we put this in the book because the quote was just gold. And and they said, well, Tracy, and she was the C H R O of HP at the time. And they said, hey, we're glad HR's at the table. And she quipped back immediately, HR is the table. Right. And I think where where it goes wrong is is when HR doesn't realize or recognize their value is not telling the right stories, is not acting as that front gatekeeper. They turn into compliance. They turn into legal. They turn into turning the cranks on payroll and total rewards and performance management and learning management systems. They're doing all the operational. Now, those things are important in a human resources function. You know, Mike and I would never say that they're not because there's so many bits and pieces to keep it going. It's the strategic side, that value-added side of knowing and being passionate about talent that really can have really increased the vertical trajectory of your company. And, you know, when you were talking and Mike was bringing up that point about what the Marine Corps does about teaching people to have that bias for action, let me take it one step further. What they then ended up creating in Mike was an example for people. As he progressed through his career, he now becomes an example. So when you hire the right talent with potential – And then you put leaders like Mike in front of them. They see that bias for action. They learn that bias for action. They learn by watching and studying their leaders. And then you have a players like Mike that are mentoring, coaching, and training for that bias for action, for strengthening those things of the potential that you saw in that original Marine, that sailor, that soldier, that airman.
1: So, it sounds. It actually sounds like two things. I'm, I was thinking while you were talking there. One is that HR people are actually real people. They're not just. Oh my God, we have to go to HR. I don't want to talk to those robots. So we have to remember that they are genuine people, who probably need to have some leaders help them. From the sounds of it, but it also sounds like when you put people like Mike in front and you in front of other people. And people who want to learn or absorb that bias for action, I would think they get pretty excited. And, you know, it becomes a uh, mindset yeah. very quickly.
0: Yeah, and, and it's a, it, it has to continue, meaning when you hire talent, when you hire people with that talent mindset or you have leaders, it has an exponential effect on your company. It's like investing, you know, we were all taught if you start putting away 5 or 10% of your earnings very early on at a young age, you get an exponential return in an earlier retirement. With talent, it's the same effect on a company. When you get that talent mindset, you bring that talent in the door, and then you have leaders with the same mindset who are mentoring, coaching, training, developing. You know, it, the, the return on that investment from the start is amazing.
1: It sounds like there's a bit of masterminding going on there as well. I mean, once you get these groups of people together and they're all excited and they're thinking, they're talking, they're not sleeping much because their brains are on fire, doesn't masterminding kind of come into it? It's like, hey, guys, we've got something really great to share. Let's talk about this.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I and I, you know, one of the, the great examples and, and I'm going to take it a little bit different from masterminding because I want Mike to tell the story. But when you take an A player and put them in charge and, and, and Mike, you know, had to train the junior officers to make them ground force commanders. And I want him to tell it because I will never do it justice, but you're putting a players in front of a type personalities that are absolutely driven. And, and it, it's just the mastermind, of special operations and how they work and how they think is is a sight to behold, frankly.
1: I can imagine, Mike.
2: Yeah, I appreciate George calling me an A player. Um, <laughs> uh, u- ultimately, I I can't make that determination. A leader can't make a determination if they're a good leader or not. That's ultimately determined by uh, by your people. But uh, you know, for whatever reason, I was chosen to to be the junior officer training course director. Uh, it was one of the most valuable wars in the military I've ever had outside of war. Um, But I think the indication that maybe I hit home is you know, I still get emails from those young, well, they were young leaders now, they're leading SEAL teams now, um, still remembering the times during the junior officer training course. Uh, I think, you know, and George can speak to this, part of your role, whether you're assessing talent or developing people, is you have to be an example. You have to set the example. You have to motivate the people that you're trying to instruct or develop as well. And I tried to do that to the best of my ability. Uh, again, it goes back to sort of the special operations model of there's a reason we put our very best in, in, in terms of – in charge of training and development because they live the values of the organization. They demonstrate it through their, uh, their, their behaviors. The worst thing you could do is put somebody in charge of talent acquisition or leadership development – that is a subpar leader because as the uh, young man or woman with, with uh, high potential is looking at that individual, that's a representation of the organization. Um, so I, I know George is adamant about it. And it, I think it goes to some of your beliefs, as you're saying, Denise, is, you know, you, you fear going to HR. Um, you know, HR has to perform as well. And they have to follow the model that, that George has laid out. You've got to get, you have have to have advice uh, for action to be involved in the discussions, to try to to develop uh, solutions or, or propose solutions when it comes to new initiatives, which ultimately all new initiatives revolve around people.
1: And see, I honestly never considered that HR was there for talent acquisition. It never occurred to me. But I have to say I've worked all by myself for many, many years now, and I will always do that. But, you know, you hear these stories, oh, I've got to go to HR. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't want to go. Oh, geez. And those kind of stick with you even though they had nothing whatsoever to do with your real life. Yeah. You
0: know, Bad mojo. Denise, um, yeah. And, and- – We did a video on this, and it's – they're not telling a story, and it's really the tagline of what Mike and I are building with the talent work group. And that tagline is, we deliver talent solutions to business problems. Mm -hmm. HR has to be operating and presenting themselves that way instead of, oh, I'm here to do your I-9s. I'm here to – set up a learning management system. I'm here to make sure that you do the, you know, this kind of training or that kind of compliance training, that those are second and third tier functions. They are valuable, but they're not the most critical value that you give to the business. And that is being the gateway to all the revenue producing functions, product producing functions, service producing functions in your company. And, If HR were to – now, mind you, it's HR changing their mindset and and presenting to whatever business they are that we bring those talent solutions and everything involving talent. But additionally, it's part of the C-suite's responsibility to require or demand that of your HR function as well. Because, you you know, we wrote this targeting both sides of the equation, both the HR side and the C-suite where your CEO's – if they condemn your HR function to an administrative or operational function, you're going to lose out on talent. And so it's, you know, it's on on the heads of HR to change that equation. Alternatively, if you're a CEO that has that CHRO at your hip and you're demanding those talent solutions, by God, you've got to be the best at that at your HR function. So both sides have to have that talent mindset. Both sides have to come to the table and do all that you can do in this hyper-competitive environment to be winning in your space. So,
1: George, are you finding that that companies are all of a sudden, well, in the past year during the pandemic, really kind of retrofitting their attitudes and what they thought they knew, what they think they need to to know? Are you able to work with HR and say, listen, we can get you some great candidates, but can we start with y'all?
0: Is that happening? We, oh, yeah. We, we absolutely do. And it's, it's interesting. Mike and I just uh, recently, over the last month, we've done – we've worked with two clients. And the way that we've structured it has turned out to be accidentally beautiful to me. And that is Mike is presenting the leadership side of the equation because that's where it starts. And then we come behind with the talent – in the HR piece and the, and the principles in the book. And you're, that's exactly what we're doing now. And we're getting a great response from from those companies that they, they absolutely have to understand they have to lead first. We can help you on the talent acquisition, the human resources side. But the pitch, the instruction, the examples, the stories that Mike is bringing to these companies, they're like, okay, I mean, you can see their eyes light up, and then they understand the second part of that equation, which is the talent. But we do speak to the leaders first, and we are seeing you know, changes in our little parts of the world that that we're able to influence.
1: And see, that's terrific. And I'm thinking of HR as a group of, a large group in most companies, of a lot of people with different talents, different skills, different empathy, different mindset. So I would think that once you kind of Find out where each person is best. Is this one a file cabinet guy? Is this one good for you know taking care of paychecks? Is this one the one that you actually want to lead the talent acquisition? Do you are you seeing some shuffling or people either settling into a new position or a new idea? What's happening there?
0: Well, with the emphasis on leadership, I'm seeing it shuffle a little bit and. You know, let me, let mean, cause, and Mike, Mike will bring this home. Mike did things that we can't even talk about. And, and, and he was part of teams, he, he was part of teams that did some of the most amazing things in the world. Special operations that we wrote about in the book needs non-special operations support and you need a players in those roles. And so, yes, we are seeing that you can't put a B or C player in charge of your payroll. I mean, could you imagine <laughs> what happens there? You no. need A players in every – you need A players in every space, without doubt.
1: Sid, so, I'm finding this fascinating because we did talk a bit the last time y'all were here, which was uh, earlier this week. We covered HR quite a bit. I honestly, even after that, I honestly had no idea how critically important it is for any company, big, small. Maybe you're the only HR person, but you know, you need to be an A person. You need to be in charge. You need to understand what's going on. I had no idea. I really had no idea. So I'm so glad that you guys are bringing this up. Now, I did want – and we're talking about leaders, leadership – I think George, it was you that said this in a video. Great leaders never stop growing. Can you give me some examples?
0: Well, the and and you know, one of the benefits about working with Mike is I get all these great phrases that I get to steal from him, <laughs> but I do give him great credit.
1: No, 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 but you're when, not stealing. You, you're relocating. <laughs> I'm, I'm helping yeah, I'm, you. I'm, I'm, I'm
0: relocating,
2: it. <laughs> right?
0: But great leaders, um, I love the term that he used, are humbly confident. And it doesn't mean that they have the solution or the answer. And so leaders that have humility, which is a critical trait that we talk about, is they know that they can get better. They're always working a feedback loop. They're always growing. They're always – they're voracious readers. They – are keeping up with everything that they can possibly keep up with because being a great leader as Mike said it's not something that I can say that I am it's something that somebody else will have to bestow upon me that kind of honor but I know that it's the greatest challenge in life and I always have to be getting better I can never ever be satisfied so the best people are always growing always learning always trying to up their game and special operations is an example where they are today is light years ahead of where they were when they started each one of the special operations groups because they have that drive for self-improvement at every level. And it's, it's, it's there's so many things that make them great, but that is critical.
1: And it's not just for themselves. If you're a leader, you, what I'm taking away from listening to you guys and reading your book is that. Yes, you want to be a good leader. Yes, you want to be an effective leader. Also extrapolates out to the people around you. You want them to be just as effective, just as great, maybe greater. You want for them what you want for yourself.
2: We, we call this concept the legacy of leadership. And, gotcha. and what it is, the whole intent, is you should always strive to make the people, your subordinate leaders, the people below you, to become better than you. And ultimately, your legacy of leadership is determined not while you're in the seat. Yes, you're you're, you're paid to to, to drive uh, results, but it's ultimately determined when you leave the organization, and if the organization continues to accelerate, or even better, accelerate at a greater rate.
1: And again, that goes back to what I was probably clumsily, you know, speaking about a mastermind, and I'm not saying it's a a mastermind where you all get together and you have talks and you have chats and you have coffee. It's almost like an unwritten, unforced mastermind. You're all thinking in the same direction. You're all thinking how to make things better. You're always coming up with solutions. Does that sound about right?
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, um, it, when I was when I'm leading anything, whether it was in the military or the corporate world, I'm always looking to take it to that next level. And I may throw as a leader my my plan or my idea, but I'm going to ask people to shoot holes in it. You know, is is there some way we can make this better? Is there a blind spot? Is there something I'm missing? Is there is there a Is there something that's going to derail me that I'm going to step on that I don't see, I'm not talking about? What have I not considered? What am I not seeing? And so I want that diversity of thought to come forward as a leader. And and Mike nailed it. It's it's the legacy of leadership. If you're acting and working and operating with that mindset – that you're not the smartest person in the room. You may be on some occasions, but if, but you have to tap into that talent that you've brought in to maximize the results that you're going to bring to the table.
1: Exactly. And a lot of people aren't willing to ask those questions because they do think or they're just positive that they're the smartest person in the room. And I think you're hamstrung when you do that. Listen, I had the hardest kind of time when I first started building my team asking for help, asking for, you know, can you guys do this better? What do you suggest? My ego took a heck of a hit. It really did. But once I got the feedback and went, oh, okay, that was just marvelous. Now I do it all the time.
0: Yeah, it's – and I learned the phrase, and I think it's, you know, when we wrote the book together, you have two – very A-type a personalities, and we don't, you know, that's not specific to gender or anything like that, but very high drive to people writing the book. And it, it's supposed to take 18 months to two years. And we were published Publish in maybe 15, 16 months, and it, and it was because of the idea that Mike brought to the table, which is the best idea wins. Our goal was to deliver a book that would influence organizations and make them better. And that was the ultimate goal. And there was neither one of us that wanted to be right in the way we worded something, the way we presented something. It was about what is best. And so as a leader, operating under the best idea wins is is one of the best tips that I could give anybody.
1: And thank you for that. It's difficult for a lot of people. I mean, we, like you, I'm an A-type most of the day. Most of the night, too, I don't sleep very well. But Mm -hmm. sometimes I just have to take my ego and say, go sit in the corner. You're not in control of this right now. That's tough. It's a tough issue, especially for females, I think. We don't like to be told what to do, even if we're the ones telling us to sit down and shut up. That doesn't go well. Okay, so one of the questions, and I also want, you were talking about this particular book. Let me kind of slide this in really quickly. When I spoke with you last week, you said you have another book in the works. Can you tell me about that?
2: Uh, I can and, and we're we're in the empty. Uh, we won't give away the uh, the title we'll, we'll simply say that it's about how special operations and great organizations uh, both manage and their and develop their talent to uh, to create cutting edge organizations. Uh, so we ha- we've brought in uh, good friends of ours who are experts in the space, um, much like George uh, Rich Divini, uh who's the author of the attributes the 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance, Brian Decker, who is a former Special Forces uh, officer and the current Director of Player Development for the Indianapolis Colts, and uh, Tom Bokar, who's a former CHRO. Um, Rich Deviney also happened to be a SEAL who uh, he and I served uh, together. So we want to have fun with this. Um, And if writing a book is not fun, then it just, you know, even when you publish it, it doesn't turn out to be a a great experience. Um, It's almost for our betterment as well. As you have five professionals in the room who are passionate about a subject, creating ideas, we sharpen each other's sword. Uh, Brian Decker will say something of just pure genius, which we then put our our personal stamp on. And and we we put that in our, I I like to say, our quiver uh, as uh, additional leadership development tools. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I know there's a a serious uh, pain point in in the business world, as well as uh, George knows that as well on how do we develop our people better and how do we manage our talent so that we don't lose it and and we actually get more out of them and and create a culture that is extremely, extremely healthy.
1: Now you guys are going to come back when that book is published, right? I have to ask you on the radio so you can't tell me now.
2: Well, we've got five total authors. Uh, I'm sure George and I will be tired of podcasts by then. So there'll there'll be plenty of people to uh, to come down. say it ain't so,
1: mm. so
0: okay yeah, well okay. fine yeah. there wait your
1: christmas part i just cut you off my christmas card list. <laughs> you
0: know?
1: okay so we and i'm really looking forward to that book so culture we're talking about culture one of the videos i watched on linkedin Seriously, i've been stalking y'all culture fit what does that mean
2: culture fit has been uh we we understand what what, what what people intended that to mean, and it's it's sort of lost its meaning. What culture fit to a lot of people means uh, is, do I like this person? And George and I will be trying uh-huh. to tell you that like is not a factor in creating a team. Um, you know, somebody asked me, "Hey, you must have loved all the seals on your uh, your, your your team." Well, yes, I did love them all, um, but did I like them all? No. And I guarantee you uh, those same people would say, yeah, I didn't necessarily like Mike Shirelli. Uh, but as professionals, we all brought something to the table. On Monday, we can come in, uh, despite our differences, uh, identify whatever needed to be accomplished for the week or for a combat deployment and work together to ensure victory. Now, come the weekend, if that individual goes their direction, hangs out with their, their uh, internal tribe and I go to, to, to my internal tribe, that's fine. That's fine. That's um, fine. At the end of the day, you're not building a family. You're building a high-performing team. And we hear a lot of business leaders say that. I want to build a family. And we know they have the best intent. Uh, everyone already has an immediate family. You're trying to build a team that wins. And when you build a team that wins, whether people like each other or not, there's a sense of pride. And you create a healthy culture that's continually pushing the uh, the bar up. Um, so, you know, additionally, with culture fit, a, a better way to look at it we, we've removed likability is values. When you say culture fit, what you're asking is, do the values of the uh, of the person that you're trying to hire, do they align with the, the values of the, uh, of the organization? And back to likability, even though maybe I didn't like a particular seal, their values still align with the organization, which means their values still align with me.
1: So let me ask you this, because I've been around people in business Business arena. I've been in business for a long time. Where I just flat didn't like them. And I had to really get over myself and listen and find out what it is that they did that I actually did like, where they did bring value to the table instead of me just rolling my eyes all the time, which, by the way, if you do enough of that, it gives yourself a headache. So. And I know this. Don't even ask me how I know this. But, but the thing is, you it is difficult sometimes to get past that, oh, I can't stand him. But we have to do it if we're going to become a leader, stay a leader. And eventually we may well find something that we appreciate so much about that person that we're, you know, we can overlook that initial, I really can't stand him kind of thing. Is that what you find?
2: You know what? If I look in the mirror and I'm honest with myself, there are certain things I don't like about myself. Uh, Same here. We all do any that. Yeah. Person, any person that tells you, yeah, I'm completely 100% in love with, uh, with myself, uh, they're, 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 they're fooling themselves. Um, you know, again, if a person is ethical, but they behave in a certain way that maybe just doesn't align with, with, with me, that, that's fine. As long as they're ethical, as long as they have a, the ability to be part of the team, which means they put their needs aside for the good of the organization uh then then it's fine it, it's it's absolutely fine again i would rather be part of a winning team with people that i maybe don't necessarily like than being part of a team that that loses
1: listen i've got family members i don't necessarily like in fact there's a few of my I, I can't stand you know they are off my christmas card list forever i don't want anything to do with them so this whole family thing i think is a crock to be honest with you
2: well, hey, at the end of the day, you can't choose your family, but you you better love your family. That 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 doesn't change. Um, gotcha. You know, we all have the people that that we don't like to be around. But it, teams are teams are no different. I
1: understand? Okay, so we're we're still talking about hiring, and George, I think we talked a bit about this. But what's worse than a bad hire, and then what is a bad candidate experience? Can you expand a bit on that? Because we talked a bit about it. But I was so fascinated. I'd like to hear more.
0: Well, first of all, everybody in your company is a talent scout, and everybody in your company is a representative of your values and your brand. And the, as I say, you know, the, the typical interviewing experience is almost like a game of Survivor, um, and people are looking at it the wrong way. If you're looking for top talent. They want an experience that represents what your company looks like in a very positive way. The interviews have to be engaging. The, the communication has to be timely. It has to be responsive. It has to – the interviews can be tough. You can push candidates. You can do all of those things. But top talent is not going to put up with a bad experience, with an egotistical hiring manager or panelist who is trying to trip them up or to make them look bad or find out all the bad things in that person. And that person, regardless of whether your company hires them, is going to go back out into the same talent pool in which you're fishing. So the experience matters. It absolutely experiences. And and, and Mike tells a great story that – you know, even if somebody isn't selected for special operations, they don't look down upon that person. They look at that person from a very respectful and admiration type view, which is we appreciate you coming. We appreciate you trying out. We appreciate you putting yourself to the ultimate test. And we're grateful that you did that. So that experience, when they go back into their organizations that more people will continue to do that versus sending somebody back out that has a bad candidate experience. First of all, you've got Glassdoor, you've got LinkedIn, you've got Indeed. You give a candidate a bad interviewing experience, that is going to ripple in today's social media. And alternatively, if you give them a great experience, that will ripple. That will help you attract more top talent, more potential that you can select from. So the hiring experience absolutely matters every time.
1: Why don't more people understand this? I mean, what you're saying makes absolute sense. It's logical. It's uh, why don't why don't people get this? And, you know, you're talking about LinkedIn and Indeed. Those are the Yelp of the Internet. You want something ugly mm-hmm. to show up? Those are the places it's going to show. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, I, I, I struggle with that, why that happens. And in my 20 years – um, and, you know, and having been, you know, the head of talent acquisition, I can come down pretty hard on bad candidate experience, which I do. But I, I think most of it stems from the fact that one of the points that we bring up in the book is that a player should be in your hiring process. And those A players will recognize A players. They will not be intimidated. They will not be, they will not select people that can't help them elevate their game that aren't going to be better than them. I think a lot of the bad experience comes from B and C players being thrust into the interview and saying, yeah, we'll give you a voice. Yeah, check them out. Tell us what you think. And so B and C players are not going to create a good experience. They're not going to select the best talent. And and it happens over and over again because, as it stems from one of the many mistakes we list in the book, is that it's butts and seats, let's move this process as fast as we can. We don't put A players in there, and that experience turns bad very, very quickly. And not only does it turn bad, it can turn really bad if you create a legal situation for yourself by not having an A player who's trained to identify and assess talent in that process.
1: And one of the the topics of your book is fear-based hiring. What is that?
0: Well, I think what it really comes down to, and, and Mike and I have seen so many examples of it, uh, there's a couple ways that it presents itself. Number one is the, the thought of quantity over quality. And it, could you even imagine for a second if special operations did that? Oh, my God, we, they wouldn't be special but there I have headcount I have budget I I need to get a button seats because two hands are better than none and that's a fear based statement that's oh something's going to fall behind something's going to lag behind if I just don't get a button a seat but if you if that fear is driving you to hire faster and select and onboard faster you you just don't know what you're going to get in the door. And while you may have a set of two hands to help you do a little bit more, you may have invited toxicity. You may have invited legal problems. You may have – you have changed the team dynamic for the worse if you're hiring based on fear and moving through the process fast to believe under the belief that two hands are better than none.
1: And that happens a lot, doesn't it? Because I see that, you know, even in my own business, you know, people will come to me and say, listen, I need this, 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 and this on my website, and I need for, you know, I need to hire somebody. And I'll often wind up consulting with them to see what it is that they think they're hiring for and what they want that person to do in their company. And you know what I find, guys? They don't know. They just want butts in seat.
0: hmm Absolutely. One of the ways that you can change that, one of the ways that you can change that, and we did a little video snippet of it, is when a hiring manager, they usually – and Mike, can I get this? We have clients that come to us, and they give us this laundry list of objectives. It's like time out. Why are you hiring? That's a simple way to interrupt the process. Mm -hmm. Ask that leader, why are you hiring? Do you know Why? And do you know what success looks like before we even start talking about any level of objective, ex, you know, requirement or any baseline of experience? Why are you hiring? What does success look like?
1: Hmm. And see. And, and I know where you're going with this because I've seen this in the virtual assistance industry. You know, that was just a big, big deal for a long time. Particularly, and it still is, don't get me wrong, but particularly when nobody knew what the heck a virtual assistant was, how to bring one on board and what to expect, it got ugly really quickly. And, you know, that ugliness still kind of hangs around today.
0: It's... Yeah. When people don't know why they're hiring or have not done a thorough assessment of their talent gaps, uh, of their single points of failure, of what would be additive to the team dynamic, you know, one of the one of the things is that you know one of the special operations truths that we wrote about in the book is that special operations can't be mass produced, and so people that operate under fear or people that you know want to fill a spot on their team, and are believing quantity is more important. Those are all things that will negatively change the team dynamic. And once you change a team's dynamic, it's so hard to get it back. You know, even with great leadership, you now have put in your path struggles that you didn't need to and things that you didn't need to solve for versus bringing in great talent, coaching, mentoring, leading, and driving towards exceptional results.
1: So don't hire somebody. Stick them in front of a computer and say, have a nice day. And I've seen that, by the way. (laughs) I have seen that. (laughs) And, And it makes me just go, what? What are you thinking here? But people do it, don't they? And, you know, George, it was one of your LinkedIn videos, I think, where you say hiring absolutely, and that's, you know, all capital letters, affects your culture Once you've brought somebody, put them in a seat, and they've made a mess, now what do you do? Can you correct it? Can you move them? Can you train them? Where do you go with that? Because if it really has affected your culture and everybody's mad all the time, now what?
0: The people that you bring in the door, and, and, you know, when Mike was put in charge of selection and assessment and training, you want to bring in people that are better than you. And when you're a hiring right. manager and you bring in somebody, you have put your stamp of approval that that is your standard. Oh, so if you bring in brilliant. substandard talent as a leader, you just told your entire team and the rest of the company basically that I have low standards and I, I'm willing to accept that to have a butt in the seat. So taking your time, Understanding what success looks like, understanding why you're hiring, what is additive to the team is the first part of the equation. Then you have to lead mentor and coach. But getting it wrong has – getting it right has an exponential effect on your company. Getting it wrong also has an exponential effect on your company as well. So this is why it's so important to, to get this right.
1: And you don't know it's wrong until you've already brought them in. And that leads me to my next question in the book. You, there's a chapter called Settling for Mediocrity. And you say a lot of companies an yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it attitude towards talent. Let's talk about that because I think that's a pretty important thing.
2: Me- mediocre players will bring a team down. If you allow them to remain in a, in a position too long with a bunch of high performers – you will actually begin to affect those high performers to whether they'll question the the organization and the culture itself or or just simply in in the worst case scenario, leave. Um, You know, again, special operations is no stranger to this. Uh, I think uh, Patty McCord and Reed Hastings uh, articulated it well in the Netflix culture deck where they basically said, we want rock stars, A players in every scene. And that's the goal. That would be reality. Probably not. Um, but that's what we're all striving to uh, to do. Special operations, who already works in small teams, cannot afford that. Often in special operations, you are going in to enemy-held territory with a small team and will face a numerically superior force. Um, and usually the special operations teams, the good ones, come out on top. That hasn't changed with history, from V SOG in Vietnam to, to the global war on terror uh, in either Iraq, Afghanistan, and then eventually uh, Syria.
1: So what should – oh, we've only got about four more minutes. What should people take away from this conversation that we're having? HR is a big component. It doesn't matter if you have one person in HR or 100. So that's a big, big component. But what do you really want people to take away from these two conversations that we've had
0: over this past week? Well, I, I've got to have got to get one of my quotes out there. Otherwise, I'm going to be in the front leaning rest position when I get back into the office, which is the one thing you should take out of this book. Um, if we, you know, there's a lot of different points that we would bring, and I know Mike's got a few, but you have to treat your human capital with the same discipline, rigor, and focus as you do your financial. That's how you win.
1: Okay, go a little bit further. So a lot of people will say, well, my financial capital is fine. You know, I have experts to take care of that. What do we do? I mean, if we're kind of pushing everything in financial capital, pushing everything off to other people, is that a good idea or a bad idea?
0: Uh, Let me rephrase that just a little bit. How mm -hmm. how How you track and manage your revenue. Your operating expenses, your capital expenses in a company. We've most of us in corporate America have suffered death by PowerPoint. <laughs> Listening to those True. briefings of sales revenue, of customer success, of product development, and there's you sit for hours, and then there's a five minute part about the talent. That's where companies can change. If you want to take something out of this book, is that the rigor you're putting into your customer service, your Your customer success, your R&D, your revenue, your sales, your product, development, and rollout, that same discipline, focus, and rigor needs to be put on how you select, assess, train, lead, coach, and mentor your people.
1: And these are all things that can be taught. They can be absorbed. You don't have to sit around and say, oh, you know, I just don't have that skill. Skills can be learned. Skills can be you can get very excited about learning new skills.
2: You, you could say this is actually an organizational or self-realization. Um, now, you know, special operations understands that it's, it's within their soft truth, the five that George referred to. You know, Peter Thiel referred to this in, in Zero to One. Herb Kelleher, uh, the, the founder and CEO of Southwest, understood it when he said, hey, we hire for great mindsets, uh, we can create a skill. If you get the people component right in everything, every facet of the business is about people. Technology doesn't take itself to market. People take it to market. When you get the people equation right, everything else will fall into place, and that's easier said than done. It takes, a, as we discussed earlier, a bias uh, for action to declare that you are going to focus on the, 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 best, the hiring of the best people you can and then their development and constant uh, talent management in order to create a culture that, uh, that wins. Any business that, that tells you, hey, we're in the business of manufacturing or we're a tech business, no. At the end of the day, everyone is in the business of people. And that's people. why this <laughs> government is so right. important. Right.
1: And one of the things you say in your book is that there's no perfect assessment and selection program, and I really like this. The best assessment and selection process is the one that is always evolving based on continuous feedback loops. And that's where you're, you're constantly asking the people around you, where can we do better? How can you do better? How can I do better? Does that sound right?
2: It's an endless battle. It never stops.
1: Understood. Mike, George, it has been wonderful speaking with you today, and I really thank you for all the terrific tips and advice. Let people know where they can go. And remind me, I think you mentioned this the last time you were here, that your company has now shifted to Talent War Group. So let, let people know where to find you.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Denise, for, uh, for having us on as well. Uh, you can find us at talentwargroup.com. Um, You know, George and I are very active on LinkedIn, uh, as you discussed a lot of our videos. uh, out there We turn videos a a week, uh, passionate about talent. uh, And when we say talent, we're passionate
0: about people and and leadership.
1: Thank you. George, any last thoughts?
0: No, and please connect with us both on LinkedIn, um, you know, to follow our content. Uh, to connect with us you know linkedin facebook instagram uh, and do reach out to us uh, i think we've built an incredible I, I, I think we did well in the book although mike and i are never satisfied we came to hate it at the end reading it so many times but we we've built a, an amazing team of people that are better than us to help you know businesses and deliver talent solutions to business problems so we'd love to hear from you
1: And I love how you say that. And listen, it's a terrific book. And whoever is listening now or in the future, go to Amazon. Grab that book. I've got it on Kindle. It's a terrific read. And there's a lot of history, you know, a lot of personal history about, you know, being in the military, which I find fascinating. It's just a terrific book. So everybody, thank you. Before we say goodbye... I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and, honestly, anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Mike, George, thank you.
0: Thank you. you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.